forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I prefer tank tops to t-shirts because I like to layer. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, week, and knew they them. Hello. 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 Just an FYI, it's they them now. That's all. Please enjoy. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to say. That's the update. Uh, thanks so much for following along. I You can learn more about that on my Instagram, I guess. But I took the plunge. I was very scared. I mostly felt like I was going to be annoying everyone. But then... It's mostly been good, and I, like, you know, talked to our manager about it and, like, changing my bio and the kind of thing where you have to, like, email ahead to meetings and stuff and give heads up and whatever. Um, So that's new and makes me my people pleaser side, which is, I guess, pretty minimal. But (laughs) my people pleaser side be a little bit like, you're inconveniencing everyone and everyone hates you. But it's worth it. What I mean to say to the to the young people listening, it's worth it. Have you felt any difference since I feel great? That's great. I feel great. I feel really great because it's really hard to feel like you're being perceived incorrectly by everybody. I didn't realize how much it was like affecting me to to have this like in my heart and not be living it. To think that people were perceiving you incorrectly is I mean it's hard to explain but it feels yucky like going through life and being like people are not really seeing the real me they're not knowing me like even friends of mine don't know this part of me and now I feel like it's like a weight lifted where it's like okay now I've communicated that I'm comfortable and also that like then now other people I feel like they're they're allowed to be closer to me does that make sense I think so So that's nice, especially because you and I are perceived on the internet so much. Like all we do is be perceived. We're perceived every day. Does it ever bother you if people just like perceive you incorrectly? I know like you, you, you bump up against people sort of being like, oh, Allison's uptight. Allison's anxious when like, that's not who you are anymore. I mean, you, you must understand that how that, you know, how I feel in some ways. Well, I don't want to, I think not being perceived. Obviously, it's yeah, different, it's very different, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> to you and to, to anybody, when people are perceiving you as, like, not what you really are, it, like, feels weird on my skin, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm not saying it's the same, but I'm saying, like, like it's, you get it. I think it gets back to, like, how it's so important to, if you can, have a strong sense of, of self so that when that stuff does happen, you're able to say, okay, well... At least I know who I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know who I am and I'm able to convey that in a way. I just didn't feel like tiptoeing anymore. Mm-hmm. And like I wanted to convey how I felt inside in a way that was outward. But I got real freaked out. Like right before I was about to post, I got super freaked out and like held, like had it in my drafts for like we- a week just being mm-hmm. like, I couldn't bring myself to hit share. I was like really scared. And like, I just, you know, I think like it's tough because we've grown on the internet for years. So people have, 
seen us at so many different stages in our lives. And so it felt, it feels vulnerable to be like, acknowledge growth or something, to be like, I'm not the same. Mm -hmm. Scary. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird to have been perceived for so long. I think there's maybe a false assumption that people who write about their lives or who people who share their lives are like always going to stay the same version or are always Mm -hmm. the same level of self-aware and that they're not also on the journey that everybody else is on. That's very true. I was worried, basically, like I talked about this in the episode of Gender Reveal that I did, a podcast called Gender Reveal with Tuck Woodstock, former uh, JBU guest Tuck Woodstock, which you can go listen to their episode. And I was just worried about alienating fans who came to me to be like, oh, I'm also like a a bisexual cis woman. And like, that's you, you know, you're relatable to me in that way or whatever. So I was like, oh, I'm going to like lose those people. Some of them messaged me, shout out to you guys, messaged me and they were like, you're underestimating how many of us are also now (laughs) (laughs) non-binary. You're underestimating the journey that the fans are also on, which is true. I was doing the same thing to them that they were doing to me. So God bless you. I don't think that you need to be on the same journey as somebody to learn and feel seen in their story. Wow. That was really good. (laughs) But I just think that a lot of times it's not so much the specifics. It's the vulnerability that people relate to, you know, because everyone's life is going to be different. Whoa. That was really good. Oh, thank you. Put on a t-shirt. Yeah. You writing a book or something? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I got to tell my editor I have to add that. (laughs) Have we finalized the cover? Ah! No. Are you allowed to say what it's called or no? The title is still not even final. Okay. Well, Allison has a book that will be coming out. It will be called something. It will have a cover. Oh, boy. Get ready for it. This is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Brutal, honest. No. Ridiculous games? (laughs) Brutal, honesty. No, we're leaving it. We're leaving it. It's supposed to be Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. But no, now it's musings and um, promotion for Allison's book, which will be called something. <laughs> well, I'm very proud of you, and I'm I'm excited for this next chapter. Thanks. I'm excited for to see a cover for your book. <laughs> what? It's 2022. It comes out. Yes, April. Okay. Well, keep an eye keep an eye on this space. Allison's going to have a book in 2022, and one day we'll know what it's called. (laughs) We have got a great episode for everybody today. This week, we're going to be talking to Dr. Tisha Mae Monteith about headaches, migraines, and neurology. I am so excited as a migraine sufferer to get to the root of this. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we already recorded the interview, and Gabby's mind was blown. Pun intended. Pun intended. (laughs) And later, we're going to be discussing the hot button topic of citizen space travel. Oh, boy. When I sent out this topic, Melissa immediately wrote back, I would like to talk about this as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited for that. But first, we have to answer a listener's question. So hit it. International question. International question. International question. Veronica, Spain slash Denmark. Okay, show off. This is our first Spain slash Denmark question, and I am here for it. We also appreciate Veronica, including her pronouns in the email. That is really helpful to us if you want to submit your questions. Okay. TLDR. Is it possible to continue a relationship that turned into affectionate love, but with no romantic attraction? Uh Uh-oh. Dear Allison, dear Gabby. I love that. (laughs) 
so cute. Okay. I have been a huge fan since the early YouTube days, and I thoroughly appreciate you and your work. I feel like I have been growing and maturing together with you, and also thanks to you. My question is of the million-dollar kind. What is love? Or is it possible to continue a relationship that turned into affectionate love, but with no romantic attraction? I'm 25, Spanish, and my significant other, he, him, of five years, is Danish. I moved to Copenhagen three years ago for love and studies. I changed my life completely to be with him. It's been a hard 2020 slash 2021 and a very messy couple of months. I've been facing expat loneliness, dissatisfaction with my studies, problems to find a job, but also after years of struggling with depression, I started therapy in April. I've just gotten a cool but super demanding job in Copenhagen. In all of this, my significant other has been my pillar, my best friend, and my cheerleader. He is still supporting me now with my huge anxiety slash imposter syndrome at work. However, I'm struggling with understanding if I really love him as a partner or just as a best friend and emotional support. My SO is an absolute catch. Handsome, clever, and quite rich and loving. (laughs) Okay? But I feel distant. I have no interest in sex, and we do not have much in common. I feel immense affection and attachment for him, but no romantic feelings. If I picture my future, I feel as if the past in front of me has been lined up by someone else. I think I lack power in my relationship and I'm too dependent on him. On the other hand, we work great as a couple. He's an amazing person. He loves me and he has a big emotional support. I love being with him and I've been feeling good until recently. I've always had these doubts in the corner of my head, but I thought time would fix things. I recently started to consider them since I developed an overwhelming crush for a new friend of mine. Oh, no. For him, I'm experiencing a never-felt-before crazy emotional, romantic, physical connection. I'm afraid I'm coming to rush conclusions because of this weird transition period, post-corona world, desire to be on my own, and the crush, as well as to lose an amazing SO, future happiness, and the main and only support I have in this foreign country. I have no desire to be in Spain. What are you supposed to feel when you are in love? Is this falling out of love if I have ever been or just a quarter life crisis? I hope this wasn't too long or confusing. I'm interested in getting your opinions. So there is a term in therapy called countertransference. And oh, man, am I experiencing it right now with this email. Go on. Say more. I mean, countertransference can take like many forms, but the one I'm talking about is like because of my own personal experience. And so having been left by a partner, because I don't know, but I assume might have felt similar things that this person is feeling, I feel yucky and scared and offended and defensive. And I, you know, my first instinct is like, how dare you? Your partner's wonderful. And then my uh, second instinct is like, uh, but you need to love your partner. And so it's a uh, whole mess of things. <laughs> yeah. Let me, I'm like stretching to gear up. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, this is rough. I feel like it's one of those things of like when you Google, like, should I break up? And by Googling that, you've answered your own question. But see, I... I don't like I feel so conflicted because I also think there are ups and downs in relationships. I think that our sexual drives are very affected by our moods. And Mm -hmm. so you can feel like, oh, I'm disconnected from my partner. But in reality, like you might be in a lower period. And so you just your sex drive in general is lower and it's Mm -hmm. not an actual reflection of your attraction to your partner. Mm -hmm. But Then there's also a lot of other information here where it's like, I do feel that drive towards somebody else. Right, Um, right. And so it's complicated. Also, 
25 and having been with your partner for five years, like your 20s are a time of figuring yourself out, you know, figuring out who you are, who you want to be with, what your what changes are in your life. Like, I think it's perfectly reasonable to have spent the beginning of your 20s with someone and then to sort of be like, I'm a different person. Like, I, I want different things. I... I maybe am more attracted to a different type of person. I think like you don't have much in common, right? So like it's this thing of like, I've figured out what I'm interested in and what I want in my future and what, and like, that's okay to change at that age. It's okay to change at really any age, but it's like okay to change at that age, particularly because those are the years where that is still forming. Your brain is still forming. You know, you don't know what kind of thing you are and and kind of person you are. And you don't have to like, stay the person you were at 20 when you're 25. And I think if we take that step back to that larger question of what is love, and and I'm assuming here we mean what is romantic love. Yeah. The reality is, is that it looks different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think there's two things at play. I think that like one of them is you have to figure out like what is it that you value. Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be people that value stability over passion. And there's going to be people that value passion over stability. Mm -hmm. And those those values can change, but it's something that you need to check in with yourself about. And so mm-hmm. if you, after this, think, you know, like there are plenty of people where like the sex part of a relationship is not the most important part of that relationship. Yeah. And then there's the other aspect of how much of your mind is spent worrying about this. Mm-hmm. Are you able to enjoy being together? Are you able to enjoy going out and hanging out and getting closer, you know? Is this once a month you sort of think, oh, is this right? Or is this 10 hours a day that you're consumed with these Exactly, worries? yeah. So that's how I, I feel like it's like this two-pronged approach to like, is this the right? There's no way to love right other than mm-hmm. like taking away abuse and mm-hmm. toxic relationships. Like if it's a healthy relationship, you get to decide like if that's the love that you want because mm-hmm. love with every single person is going to look different. Yeah, and I mean, this other thing of, experiencing a never before felt crazy emotional romantic physical connection with this friend it's not necessarily like you need to leave for that person that person mm-hmm. could be like a totem of something completely like a, a represent a different life that person can be like in your brain kind of an out if that makes sense like a a way to sort of be like oh I'm seeing how it could be with someone else. You may have like totally romanticized and like this person actually isn't for you or or isn't like special, but it's something that in your mind you're using as like a a way to be like, well, maybe I want out. Does that make sense? Like it doesn't matter about this particular friend. It matters that like you are having the feeling of like itchiness of like, I want out, you know? Well, I also think that like, you know, for some people, they might not even have a point of reference of what it means to be super physically into somebody. Right, exactly. So maybe up until this point, you haven't had that reference. So you thought that what you had with your current partner was what you were capable of feeling. Mm -hmm. And so now maybe you're realizing, oh, I have a capacity to feel this other way. Mm-hmm. And now that you have had that taste of that capacity, it's, you know, it's like sort of like if you just ate frozen yogurt your whole life. Right. You don't crave ice cream. <laughs> and it doesn't make you a bad, like none of this makes you a bad person. Like sometimes no. relationships just don't work out. They're not compatible. Like people are people. Like 
Sometimes that's just like what happens. And also kind of like being like, well, I've invested five years. If you were 45 and you had been 45 to 50 being with this person, I think I would have a different opinion than 20 to 25, which is like, you're just so young. But I also think that the next step right now is you deciding whether or not to leave. It's you telling your partner about these feelings. Correct. Yes. 100%. And that's the step that a lot of people miss, including my ex-fiance. Right. (laughs) You can't just make this decision unilaterally. You have to sit them down and you have to tell your partner what's going on with you. And then even if it's going to seem hurtful, they need to know the truth. Because who knows? There's they might say, you know what? I have been feeling the same way. Uh (laughs) Or they might say that's so weird because I feel that like animalistic attraction to you, but you don't Mm -hmm. feel that to me. Or like you just don't know. Like I think we take for granted that we spend all of this time Mm -hmm. with somebody, but that's very different than knowing what's going on in their internal world. And there's a world in which he's devastated. And he's like, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. I'm so sad. This sucks. Like I'm really hurt. That if that's your truth, you just kind of have to allow him to have his truth as well. And like, if he's really hurt and you can't come back from it, then you can't come back from it. But you have to like keep him in the loop because otherwise you're just going to be like, bye. But I also think that there's there is a strong ability to change relationship dynamics when Mm -hmm. given the chance. Mm -hmm. So even what you're saying right now, what your relationship is in in this moment, maybe you'll find that once you share these thoughts with him. Maybe you'll start, I don't know, talking about your sex life in a new way. And mm-hmm. then you will suddenly figure out something that like works more for you or like mm-hmm. and it, it bonds you closer. And so I think giving yourself the chance before abandoning this relationship that you have put a lot of time and thought into and, and that you clearly care for this person to see, like, is there a way for me to make this relationship that I'm currently in? closer to the relationship that I want to be in long term. Mm -hmm. And then if not, then you can walk away knowing you tried. You can Mm -hmm. walk away knowing you can have more you can have more clarity on that versus just like throwing the bomb and leaving or just like accepting that this is the only way this relationship will ever be. Yeah, you can go into it being like, I want to work on it and I Mm -hmm. want and like, here's how I've been feeling. It's not necessarily how I'm always going to feel, but like, I'm sure. And also, like, I don't think it'll catch him out of left field, but who knows? But I like, you know, I think people can pick up on when things are weird. And so bringing him into your thought process and then asking him, like, what is your what have you been thinking? I would leave out the part about the crush. I think leave that out. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I think I I think you have to see where the conversation goes because it very well could be that he asks you, is there somebody else? I think if you start that conversation, you know, you want to be honest because whenever you're keeping things from your partner, you're putting up a wall, right? Mm -hmm. And there's definitely things to keep from your partner sometimes. But when the purpose is to try to connect with them and to, you know, move to a new level of intimacy to sort of figure things out, I think sometimes the brutal honesty can be helpful. Yeah. If it comes up. Yeah. Or if it's like, if it's like, oh, so do you think you can't feel this way at all? Or, and then you can say, well, no. Also, you know, it's life is a series of decisions. And for you to go, my desire to be on my own and my crush, like, am I going to ruin my whole life that I already have? And it's like, you can't know, like desire to be on your own and having a crush is a good enough reason to be on your own. You know what I mean? Like pursuing things that are exciting to you is life. If that's what ends up being, like, I don't think that is a value negative to having a partner that you're like meh on. 
And we're very adaptable, right? I mean, I think there are a couple mistakes that like, quote unquote, can ruin your life if it lands you in prison or <laughs> do you know what I mean? But well, yeah, yeah, for yeah. the most part, like you, it's hard for just one decision to completely destroy your entire mm-hmm, life. Like mm-hmm. you will rebound, you will adapt, you will find joy in your new direction. You will, you know, like I think that we get in this very right or wrong, bad mm-hmm. or good. And it's not that it's like we can live so many different versions of our lives and still find joy in all the different versions. I mean, so I was with Josh Gondelman from when I was 21 to 24. That person was lovely. We got along super well. We were very similar in a lot of ways, very different in a lot of other ways. He was great. I mean, he would have been an incredible husband. When I left, I I felt awful because I was like, this person is perfect. But time goes by and like, he wasn't perfect. And he, for me, he wasn't perfect for me. And he's a wonderful husband to someone else. <laughs> and I felt like terrible. I felt like I'm such a garbage person. I left him because I don't deserve love. I am not good enough for him. And that's why I couldn't make it work or whatever. But I was also 21 to 24. I was so young. I didn't know anything about myself. I hadn't even really figured out my queerness. Like I would have had a great life with him, but I also would have been so stunted and I would have never figured out all these things. And like, I just think he didn't do anything wrong, but he also wasn't for me. I mean, I have an exactly similar story with the guy I was with from 21 to 23. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he was wonderful and he did nothing wrong. But again, it wasn't the right match. Right. I've also been the the crush co the coworker that is being crushed on. Okay. No need to (laughs) (laughs) But I'm saying in that situation, I wasn't right for that person either, but that person needed to get out of the relationship they were in. And now they're in a much better relationship. So I think like I think sometimes it's not about that other person. It's about like what you are realizing in your heart that you need. That's my that's my thing. Totally. Well, I hope that that helps. Again, it's going to be a journey. It's not like you have to make this decision in a vacuum and that it's all on you. You are in a partnership. You do need to have those conversations. And if you want to submit your international question and cause me to have a lot of counter transference, (laughs) you can send it to just between us pod at gmail.com. That's just between us pod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Dr. Tisha Mae Monteith. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, our guest is Dr. Tisha Mae Monteith. Dr. Monteith is a recipient of the American Academy of Neurology's Palatucci Advocacy Leadership Award and the American Headache Society's Wolf Award. She is basically like an expert on headaches and migraines and neurology. And so I really wanted to talk to you. So hello, welcome to the show. Absolutely. And I, of course, did my own research on the show. And I see that you have quite quite the following and you get a little zany. And so I thought it was important, if not going to ruin my career, then important for me to come on here because it sounds like my guess is you're going to have a lot of, of listeners that have migraines. Yes. So one thing that happened and the reason I want to have you on is because I briefly mentioned having migraines in an episode a while ago, 
And I got such a response from people who were like, oh my God, I get those too. No one ever talks about them. So I was like, we have to have the, the best of the best on to talk about them. So what is a migraine? Okay, well, that's a question that um, is a very difficult question to answer. The best, easiest way to answer what a migraine is, is by the symptoms of migraine. Most people can connect on what that is. So migraine is defined as a headache. It's actually more than just a headache. It's a neurological event, but it's defined as moderate to severe pain that lasts four hours to three days. For some people, it can last weeks or many, many days. It's pounding, sometimes on one side of the head. It's, it has associated features, so there may be sensitivity to light or sound, but this could be pretty intense. Smells, odors can be bothersome. There can be nausea, there could be recurrent vomiting. So that, that is the characteristics of migraine, but actually patients can have many more symptoms. Patients can sometimes lose vision. They can have what we call an aura. They can have very interesting uh, visual experiences, kaleidoscopes, uh, flashes of light, sparks of light, very complex figures. Some people can have what they call this Alice in Wonderland syndrome, like this kind of sensation of or when they're looking at something, there's large and, and large ob objects and, and small objects. So this kind of, some patients can have hallucinations, hallucinations of abnormal smell, like something's burning, what's burning? That's really their migraine attack. They can have vertigo, intense room spinning sensation or imbalance. Some people can even present like a stroke. So they're having weakness on one side of their body. They come in, they look exactly like a stroke patient, but it's really due to a migraine. So it's a headache with associated symptoms that can be disabling. It's defined by its disability that's associated with that migraine attack. So it's really important, not just a regular headache. If someone has a migraine, it may be causing them to miss work or school or function. Mm -hmm. What neurologically is happening? Right, so there are a number of events that are happening. We think of migraine as an inherited neurological disorder. So there are brain changes that are happening. There's abnormal activation of certain parts of the brain that's happening. So there's this kind of area of the brain called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is important for things like feeding and sleep and regular cycles that you may experience. And we think that part of that hypothalamus becomes activated. And during that activation phase, you can actually have some weird symptoms like food cravings. Some patients can become irritable. Some people can urinate frequently or some people have like this uncontrollable yawning. That's the sign that the migraine attack is already happening. So we call that the prodromal phase or the premonitory phase. And that could be hours to days leading up to the actual pain phase. And then some patients get the visual disturbances. And so that's the aura. And with aura, there is thought to be abnormal spreading of, of parts of the brain, the cortex of the brain, cortical spreading depression. So the, the most external part of the brain there's some abnormal waves that are happening. So people that have aura have these abnormal waves that are happening in their brain and parts of the brain, both the cortex, the outer part and the inner structures can be activated during a, a painful migraine attack. It's, it's associated with the trigeminal nerve. So there's trigeminal nerve dysfunction. The trigeminal nerve is a, a sensory nerve that feeds the, the face. So it's, it's responsible for processing pain. If someone got hit on the head, the trigeminal nerve will, is, is what senses that pain. But with migraine, there's no hits in the head. There's no injury. It's just the activation of that nerve and the pathway of that nerve. So there's an abnormal activation of the trigeminal vascular system. And it's associated with activation of certain parts of the brain, 
It happens at random. It can be associated with triggers, stress, lack of sleep, skipping meals, hormones. So just before you're getting your menstrual cycle, for other people, it could be that perfume in the office. I had one patient tell me that that there was a rule in the office. No one could wear perfumes whatsoever, period. That's it. And someone snuck in some new Victoria's Secrets perfume that was supposed to be a little bit less sweet. And so she tested it out to see whether her friend would notice. The friend started feeling a migraine coming on. It was like, is someone wearing scents? And she's like, yeah, I didn't think you noticed. This was a new fragrance and it's supposed to be subtle. And so um, weather, weather can sometimes trigger migraines. And people, you know, lately I'm here in Miami. There's been a lot of weather changes. And it's just like five or six patients in, in one day are telling me that they're having these severe episodes because of the weather. So it's a triggerable disorder. It's a brain disorder. Patients are otherwise pretty normal in between attacks. And um, there can even be emotional disturbances associated. There can even be diarrhea associated with migraine. A lot of systemic symptoms as well as brain-related symptoms. Is it genetic? It's a genetic disorder. Usually you can find someone in your family that has migraine classically. Those auras that are associated with weakness. We talked about that stroke-like symptoms. Those are the classical types of inherited syndromes where we know a gene and we know that gene that's inherited can lead to those stroke-like symptoms. But there's these other uh, genetic studies they are called genome-wide association studies. And if you have one or two of these genes or maybe a number of these genes, it puts you at risk for having migraine. So there are all these risk genes that it's not like a full-fledged, you have this gene, you're going to have a migraine. But Add, adding these risk genes together could increase your chance of having migraine. So definitely known to be an inherited disorder. Most people can find a family member. And sometimes family members say, no, I don't have migraines. But if you dig and you ask questions, they get headaches around their menstrual cycle. But, you know, maybe they're not as sick as their daughter. You know, they, they've never been hospitalized and never gone to an ER. They take, But they do take tons and tons of over-the-counter medications. It goes away in a half an hour. So migraine is, is often underdiagnosed. So a lot of people walk around and have migraine. They don't even know they have migraine. They don't realize why, why they're so fatigued or why they're, some people it's more like a dizzy sensation. And so, yes, it is an inherited disorder, but it could, what it looks like could be different from your family member. Yeah. I was going to say my mom has more classic migraines where she, you know, it's really debilitating and she's prescribed medication. And when it's coming on, it's like a, oh no, kind of feeling. Exactly. And then I just get like headaches, but like they're not, I wouldn't describe them as like moderate to severe pain. I describe them as like more, more mild to moderate, but I get right. them frequently. So is that, would that be like related? It's, it's very possible that if you have headaches, if your mom has headaches, that if we were to ask you more questions, that it, especially if you need to treat your headaches. Tension type headache is actually the most common type of headache, but migraine is the most disabling type of headache. Not everyone has a headache that's so severe that they can't function. Some people, they take a nap and it goes away. And so depending on what triggers those headaches of yours, my guess is that you probably do have a milder form of migraine. So it would count as a migraine, even if it isn't? Because when you first described it, I was like, oh, four hours, like, yeah. Tense pain. Like it felt like, oh, I definitely don't have that. I just have headaches. <laughs> yeah. But if you're a little bit sound sensitive, you know, you can work, you can function. But if you've had a choice, you prefer things to be quieter when you had had a headache. Some people don't notice their light sensitivity. It could be very mild. Some people are a little, a little queasy and it's not all the time. It's maybe once a year. 
then that, that could be a migraine. So we'd have to talk more. Not everyone has that pounding pain, but there could be a little bit of throb, a little bit of, a little bit more, but occasional. And so depending on some of your symptoms, and not just the symptoms, but the triggerability, what triggers mm. it. Is it after a stressful event? Is it um, if you skip a, a meal? Is it if you slept in? Some people get migraines when they sleep in on the weekends. Not everyone is going to look like, you know, dark glasses, pounding pain, and they can't. So this variability causes a lot of confusion. So you have someone that calls in and says, oh, I have a migraine. They're just like, I have a migraine right now. I'm working. Why can't you come to work? Well, migraine is different for you. Mm-hmm. you know? um, we, 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 we're part of a big advocacy group because migraine is underfunded in terms of research. So you don't have a lot of treatment options because it's, it's traditionally so underfunded. And so a lot of the advocates would go to NIH and talk to the leaders that decide where money should go in terms of different research. And one of the head head people that makes decisions has migraines. And so she's kind of like, well, I know I have migraines, but for her, it's probably not. She's, just, she's definitely still working with her migraines, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, even though we have this criteria, it could vastly differ from person to person. And even within a person, you could have one day it's horrible, once every three years it's horrible, and the majority of times you sleep it off, you don't even need to take something, or you take a Tylenol and it's gone in 20 minutes, mm-hmm. or you have a snack and it's gone. And so there's a huge variability for that reason. What are some of the new treatments? What are some of the like new things that you would give to someone who came to see you? Yeah, so that's a wonderful question. So first of all, you said migraines inherited. There's a number of treatments. There are genetic factors, there are environmental factors. So, you know, you start off with lifestyle stuff. You know, there are people that are, you know, working night shift as a nurse. And Mm. so looking at their sleep patterns, what can we do about that? Is there any way we can make it more regular? I had one patient that worked in the airlines and she had to wake up like four in the morning to get. And so sometimes that anxiety of just like getting to work would cause migraines. And then, you know, of course, she has the vulnerability to have migraines. And so we talked about how she can get a more regular schedule. She finally has a more regular schedule, really because she's more senior, not because of her, you know, unfortunately, some people can't get that perfect schedule. Mm -hmm. So, you know, lifestyle, making sure you're not skipping meals, regular eating, not always easy to figure out the type of food triggers. They could vary and sometimes they're not consistent. It's hard to figure that out. Red wine for some people is a trigger. They can easily identify that. So looking for modifiable factors and how you can work with that is the first thing. And then there are other things. There are now uh, devices that patients can use. These are neurostimulators that are non-invasive. So there's one that you can stimulate the trigeminal nerves in the front of your head for 20 minutes. There are remote electrical stimulators. So this is a stimulator on your arm to stop an acute attack. There's a uh, vagal nerve stimulator. The vagus nerve runs, is long, right? It's part of your, your gastric system, but also runs along your cervical area. So there's a stimulator that you can stimulate to try and stop or prevent migraine attacks, vagal nerve stimulation. There are a number of, of these stimulator devices that might be helpful. So nerve stimulation may be helpful. And then there's acute treatments and there's prophylactic treatments. So the acute treatments, right? Non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and non-specific stuff. The first line treatment for migraine are triptans. These are migraine specific drugs, serotonin agonists that have been around since the 1990s. There are now seven of them. There are nasal sprays, injectables, pills, melts in the mouth, different ways of taking it. 
contraindicated in people that have had cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, strokes, but can be very effective to stop migraine attacks, can have side effects, but can be generally pretty effective. There are now some newer types of medications. These are medicines that target a protein called CGRP or calcitonin gene-related peptide. Calcitonin gene-related peptide is released during severe migraine attacks. Oh. And it's persistently elevated in people that have chronic migraine. So chronic migraine, you have 15 headache days out of the out of a month that's been going on for at least three months. Eight of them wow. are look like migraine. So chronic migraine happens 2% of the population. So patients that have chronic migraine would benefit from prophylactic therapy. As a matter of fact, if you have six headache days or more, you would benefit four to six headache days or more, you'd probably benefit from a prophylactic therapy. So there's acute therapy and then there's the preventive therapy depending on the frequency. So going back to the acute treatments, we mentioned nonspecific stuff, over-the-counter stuff, but also the triptans. And now there are these new drugs, we call them the G-pans, because they target this calcitonin gene-related peptide, CGRP. They're pills that you can take. There's two of them that are now FDA-approved to try and stop a migraine attack. So triptans, G-pans, the nonspecific stuff. And then there are other things too, anti-emetics, some anti-nausea medicines may also be helpful. So those are a number of acute acute uh, pharmaceutical treatments. And then there are the preventive therapies. And the preventive therapies, we don't do the best job on, we're doing a better job now. The preventive therapies are borrowed treatments from other disorders. So we found that hypertension, so antihypertensive medicines, blood pressure lowering drugs, some of them actually can help migraine, even if your blood pressure is completely normal. Interesting. Anti-seizure drugs, there's a couple yep. of them. Topiramate is one, valproate is another. These are uh, Drugs that can be effective to prevent migraine. Antidepressants, not all antidepressants. And even if you're not depressed, you may benefit from uh, antidepressant. Some of them that target certain chemicals in the brain can be helpful. You need to be on them for at least two months before you determine whether mm-hmm. they help or not. Now, they can all have different side effects. If you're on an antihypertensive, your blood pressure can go low. If you're on an uh, anti-seizure drug that affects the, the brain, you can have central nervous system side effects like sedation or fatigue yeah. or or even irritability. Some patients get weight loss or certain things. Some people want those side effects. Some side effects <laughs> are good, like antidepressants can make people sleepy and they're, they want to go to sleep because they're yeah. having problems sleeping. So you give them a little bit of that. So you look at what the problems are, look at the side effect potential, and can you even use that side effect to your advantage? So those are the nonspecific stuff the barred stuff. But since 2018, there's been, remember, we talked about that protein CGRP. There's different ways to block the CGRP. We talked about the pill. And one of these pills, Remetrapan, that we said is an abortive that stops a migraine attack. If you use it every other day, it turns out it could actually be a preventive, which is kind of cool. Oh. There are some new drugs. There's four of them that block CGRP and they're monoclonal antibodies. So remember this whole COVID thing where you get the antibodies to uh, reduce the symptoms of COVID with monoclonal antibodies. Your body actually makes monoclonal antibodies. You see foreign substances, your immune system makes uh, antibodies. So it's something your body's used to, but this is made in the laboratory and you inject it yourself. So there's three of them, Fremonazumab, Arenamab, and Galcanazumab. And if you inject it, the patient, it's an auto injector, super easy. So you're not taking a pill every day. It tends to have little to no side effects. You're injecting the injection site reaction, most common side effect, and you can have an allergic reaction, which is pretty infrequent. So that has been shown to really reduce migraine attacks. 
Wow. And that's something you inject yourself once a month. There's wow. also an IV form of that CGRP monoclonal antibody. So the monoclonal antibodies have been out since 2018, and those are great in that they really reduce uh, the episodes of migraine. But for the acute attacks, you've seen Whoopi Goldberg, Serena Williams, the other Kardashian, Khloe Kardashian, they all have commercials now. And this is all related to those blocking CGRP drugs that are actually pretty effective. So drugs are not the only thing. Lifestyle helps. We have neuromodulation. We also have Botox injections. I, I was about to ask you. about Botox. That was on my list. I just had uh, injected 15 patients before coming to meet with you guys. And I just did a workshop for my fellows about how to inject Botox. So Botox has been FDA approved since 2010. It's only, remember we said there's migraine and then there's chronic and then chronic is that 15 or more. So that person's having headache every other day. And oftentimes it's severe, they're missing work or school. And they often have more anxiety and more depression. They can be more obese or a number. They have more insomnia. So having chronic is not fun, but the Botox can be very helpful. It's generally very safe. It's a 10 minute procedure, 31 injections, a super small needle. You're injecting, the patient gets better, usually within a week. Sometimes they need a second injection before they really start showing a benefit. It works for the majority of patients or some, it doesn't work for you. You gotta move to the, another treatment. So a number of, of these pharmaceutical treatments that um, has really transformed patients' quality of life. Again, there are these things like psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy, maybe mm -hmm. some benefit of yoga, biofeedback, you know, these are all psychological interventions and you can combine some of these things to try and get a great response for patients. What's the Botox doing? So that's a great question. <laughs> and uh, I don't think anyone really 100% knows what Botox is doing. We do know how Botox works. Uh, Botox is a neurotoxin. And so, you know, the reason why honey is not put in baby's milk when babies are, you know, getting some milk is because uh, there's a bacteria that produces the neurotoxin. And then when that baby ingests that, that bad milk that has the honey and the, the neurotoxin in it, they can have paralysis of their muscles and become very, very sick. So neurotoxin harms people, right? It mm -hmm. causes paralysis. And the first time Botox was used was meant to prevent patients that had this spontaneous eye closure, blepharospasm, and also an, an eye disorder called strabismus. And that caused weakness, but that was a good thing. So fast forward some years later, it was tried for other conditions with headache, tension type headache, which is a muscle type of problem mm -hmm. we think, and didn't work for that. And it was tried for migraine, but lower frequency migraine didn't work for that. They finally tried it in the right patients, the patients with chronic migraine. So we think that it works more than just paralyzing muscle. We know that it targets a chemical called acetylcholine, which is an important neurotransmitter. So giving messaging to contract muscles. So it causes paralysis by preventing that acetylcholine from actually working. But that we don't think that that's important, maybe important for wrinkles, because then you don't wrinkle because you can't right. have the paralysis there. People love that. But we think it does other things too. We think that it targets the sensory nerves. So there's all these nerves within uh, underneath your skin, right? That are running the, the motor nerves, that's important for your muscle contraction, but also sensory nerves. And if you target the sensory nerves, that neurotoxin is preventing the release of these chemicals. Mm -hmm. One being in, important in particular that we think about, CGRP, that same CGRP. Botox can prevent the release of that CGRP, plus a few other chemicals, glutamate, substance P, that may or may not be important, 
So preventing the release of these neurotransmitters, preventing pain signaling. So it makes that nerve, uh, sensory nerve, not signal pain wow. as much. Um, we think that it may also do other things to the surface of that sensory nerve. So a number of really cool things that we think that is happening because of Botox. And it seems like over time, patients actually do better with Botox. Of course, there are occasional patients that got worse. And then you try and figure out why it is that they got worse. I had one patient that was worse and turns out her mother died of COVID. So you got to always ask these questions. And other patients, it's other things. And you've got to try and do that modification. But by and large, Botox is safe. It's effective. It's been around for F- at least FDA approved for 10 years, well, mm-hmm. since 2010. But it's been used even before 2010, before the FDA approval. So a really cool treatment, really helpful for patients that have that chronic migraine that's about... 2% we think in the population. And how long does it normally take when a, cl- a patient comes to you for you to find a treatment that works for them? Yeah, great, great question. I'm a headache specialist, so I have a variance. I'm also an academic headache center. It's a university setting. So I have some people that come to me and they're a med student or and they get to me pretty quickly. So it really depends on you know what the patient tried before. And it's going to vary. It's individualized therapy. But generally speaking, the oral treatments Generally, a good trial is about two months. And if it does, hasn't worked in two months, we try or two or three months, we try and move on to something else. So you can get lucky, get that patient on that Botox injections, and they may have relief within a week, or get on that CGRP inhibitor, that monthly injection, and they may have relief within a week or four weeks. And then there are patients that you've tried three or four things before something is really working and you're really figuring it out. And again, it may be a combination of things. So you've tweeted about this, but do you believe that migraines are a disability and why? Migraine uh, can be a disabling condition just by the nature of the disorder. Because uh, we, we mentioned that to have migraine, the classic definition is moderate to severe pain and it's recurrent. So a patient that has one migraine a month, they take something and their migraine is gone in an hour, probably not a problem. If you're a pilot, that could be a problem. Right. <laughs> so it, it's going to vary with individuals. But by definition, migraine is uh, a disabling condition. It does not mean that everyone with migraine needs to go on disability, but it does mean that it can slow you down. And some of that may not be the pain that's slowing you down. Some of that is that brain fog that patients are having. So they have that migraine, but the pain actually could even go away very quickly in, in an hour with medication. But that persistent brain fog because we mentioned that there's that premonitory phase, but there's also what we call a postdromal phase, that even when the headache is gone, could be hours to even a day or two that you're still feeling kind of like a hangover. Mm-hmm. It's a buzz, right? And so some patients uh, can be slowed down. And if you're a super high-functioning person, you, you have conferences, you're, you're jet-setting, you know, you're, you're traveling on an airplane, but you're triggered by certain things. I have one patient that is lifeguard but he also does a lot of other kind of uh, like a trainer he does a lot of high impact exertional things now he had a head injury that makes it more complicated but he has to really plan out his day and figure out what it is he can do or not to yeah and then there are other patients that also have to do that because they only get so many acute treatments because if you start using these abortive treatments every day you can get what's called rebound headache or medication overuse headache so some people say well i have to decide what am I going to do this day? Because I'm almost out of medications. Yeah. So you almost have to plan around when they're getting a migraine. So in that case, 
you may be high functioning, but you're it's disrupting your kind of flow. And there are some patients that need to go on disability because of that. You said empathy and compassion go a long way in supporting those with debilitating inherited neurovascular disorder. Um, and mine, I have the type of migraine that I throw up. It takes me days. It knocks me out. I used to be frustrated, like, oh, yeah. why can I not like work or whatever? But I've realized it's like something where it's teaching me what I need to do. It's teaching me how to take care of myself in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. So that's that's a great observation. That was a great tweet of mine, by the way. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> tweet of yours. I went through your tweets. I was like, that one's a gem. I'll pull that out. Yeah. But self-compassion is important. So not just doctor giving compassion, family members giving co-workers, but also self-beating yourself up. It's not going to help and sometimes can aggravate Mm-hmm. The problem acceptance and self-love is going to be what it's all about and just owning it, owning it, you know? So that's the one thing. I mean, do doctors not take it seriously? Is this like the thing? Because I feel like I, I, one of my questions was like, when do you need to seek treatment? Like, I feel like yeah. so many people yeah. just go, well, I, I, it, that'd be so, to, that that's like so overdramatic to whatever. So doctors are part of a society, right? Mm-hmm. So does society take it seriously? Mm-hmm. You know, even when you're tweeting, people are like, oh, he was such a headache. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that's like a problem for other people. It's not just a nag, right? Um, and so, you know, I think we have an issue with culture and it's thought to be a weak woman's condition that, you know, we need to get past that, recognize it has a genetic neurological condition. And so, yeah, so doctors, I, I think, are, are generally very compassionate to headache. Many doctors tend to have migraine themselves. And the more specialized you are in this headache world. So I think that there was a study and I'm not sure about primary care, but neurologists have more migraine than the average person in the general population. And if you're a headache specialist, you're going to have more migraine than the average <laughs> neurologist. So it's just maybe the more you talk about, the more you diagnose yourself. But there may be something more more to why you go into that field mm-hmm. or what has inspired you. So I do think that generally speaking, doctors are compassionate but there are some doctors that you, know, you come in you may have a list of issues they want to deal with your high blood pressure and your diabetes the things that they think are going to kill you the things that are what we call like less invisible migraine's an invisible disorder so if you don't see it you don't see it on that x-ray sometimes it's hard to capture when you're trying to get through everything else like mammograms and breast cancer screening and all these other things so it's important to be your own advocate and to let people know that you have your migraine. Don't wait for someone to ask you about your migraine or what are you doing or can treatment be better? So that's one thing. And another thing is there are a lot of primary care doctors that probably could do a better job of diagnosing migraine or treating migraine or putting in on that list of important things to do. Mm-hmm. And so again, because it's such an invisible condition and there's not enough training in medical school the average medical student probably gets about three hours of lecture for, you know, headache disorders, just a whole list of headache disorders. And there are many headache disorders, not just migraine. And so it's something that we need to do a better job of educating medical students. But then if you don't go into neurology, then if you're an OBGYN, you're going to have patients that come in with hormonal migraines, menstrual migraines, we call it, more migraines around that perimenopause. So if you're an ENT doctor, you're going to know that patients coming to you with a migraine and this is not sinus headache. And so we need to do a better job, I think, to educate doctors so that they're aware of the level of disability, not just physicians, but the public as well. This goes for school age kids, you know, 
school age kids, if they're missing school because of migraine, and sometimes migraine is not pain. We said it could be all these other things. Sometimes it's abdominal migraine. So they have these recurrent tummy aches and that's a migraine. And so we need to do a better job of educating the public, educating each other, healthcare providers, but even loved ones that you want to understand you and, and care for you. And I think sometimes there's this sense of like, well, there's nothing that can be done anyway. So it's better for me to just. Oh, well, that is not true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a treatment that there's the reason, one of the reasons why I went into neurology and, and, and headache because of all the conditions, I thought it was one of the most modifiable. Mm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. So it goes both ways. Some of these modifications, so like changing behaviors, that's harder to do, right? Managing stress. Not all of migraine is going to be stress-related, but there are some people that have stressful experiences and need, need to deal with that. So are you inactive? You know, inactivity can be associated with more migraines. So you know, a lifestyle changes are harder to implement, and that goes for other kind of chronic conditions. I was going to say, are there other neurological conditions people should look for? Like if you're having headaches of any kind, like when should you seek out a neurologist? So I think, first of all, if you have any level of disability, it's slowing you down. You have difficulty getting up out of bed or you're just brain fogged and you're not functioning to the full extent that you should. The over-the-counter medications are not working well. or You find yourself using more than you, you should be using in any one day or any one week then uh, know that there are treatment options and that's probably a good reason to seek care if you have atypical symptoms. So if you have loss of vision and it's prolonged, may not be an aura, maybe something more concerning, maybe you have glaucoma, weakness on one side, you know, these are neurological events, you lose speech, you lose balance. And this is something new, you develop a new type of headache, a worse headache, an abrupt headache, thunderclap headaches, those are headaches that reach maximum intensity within one minute, oftentimes within a few seconds. Wow. So patients that have abrupt onset of headache, neurological symptoms that are persistent, that have systemic symptoms. So you have fever, loss of taste or smell. If you have loss in taste of smell and headache, what are we thinking of? COVID. <laughs> COVID, right? <laughs> there are some warning signs that maybe this is not just a migraine. Mm-hmm. Wow. I really appreciate you coming on because I've had these since I was a kid. My dad has had them. They take me out. I mean, I'm, I'm like I said, the person who starts throwing up, who is out for days. I ha- also, the thing that has constantly plagued me is that while it's happening, I'm so frustrated that it's happening that I start crying. Yeah. And then that's the thing where like my partner, or my mom would have to be like, you, you can't also be crying. It's like, actually I can, cause this is my migraine. <laughs> And some of this could be your frustration, but as we said, migraine is a brain disorder. So there's actually been studies showing that when you're having that migraine attack, there's a part of the brain called the limbic system, which is important for emotional processing, can be activated during a migraine attack. So some of this could be logical. I'm having a pain or I miss out on this or you know something extremely logical, but it could also be that this area of your brain is being activated and you're more sensitive than you normally would be. Some people, even before the pain starts, they're emotional, they're irritable, or there's some people that have like this bolus of energy right before the migraine attack. That's the brain changes that, that's actually happening. And being very emotional and anxious is, is part of that. I'm blinking. I'm just blinking rapidly at you because I'm so taken aback. Holy. So just let them know anytime they nag you, just say it's my limbic system that's being activated. <laughs> 
<laughs> the ultimate clapback. Wow. <laughs> I need your limbic system to be activated. You know, compassion. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Wow. wow. This is so helpful and wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you had me on here. And I think there's going to be so many followers that you really helped. Well, we're not letting you go just yet. Would you yes, like to play yes. a game show? Let's do it. <laughs> But if I don't win, you're going to have to edit it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll edit you to look good. Don't worry. So we're going to play a game show called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you have, and then you tell me what you would do in that situation. Okay. Sounds good. There's no true answer. I just get to choose. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Okay. Your partner of five years agrees to sign up as a volunteer at a kissing booth to raise money for charity, but they keep it a complete secret from you and you only find out when one of their coworkers tags them on Instagram. <laughs> Would you stay with this cheater? Am I allowed to have more information? That I Absolutely. Have? So, okay, so what, what was the charity that really matters? Is it like people young starving women that need bikinis or is it like orphans in somewhere <laughs> it's migraine awareness ah! <laughs> oh that's a hard one <laughs> <laughs> what do you care about more tisha women can't have it all do you care about love or you care about career well now, <laughs> well, now i need to see the instagram post can i see the instagram post and see what those girls look like yeah what does it look like it's just like college age, beautiful <laughs> women. Um, and they can pay extra for tongue. And a lot of them did. <laughs> that, that's a hard one. Now, how much did he raise? He actually raised $4,000. Okay. Pretty good yeah. for kissing. And who, who got him signed up to this? It was like his whole company was putting on this this fair to raise money, but he could have volunteered to do all sorts of things, but he volunteered for wait, the Wait, wait. So he could have volunteered to do other things for migraine awareness? Yeah. He could have like sold snacks or Oh, he's maybe... out. <laughs> Why am I not invited to the fair? That's another great question. I love a fair. I love to I love to do that game where you throw the rings on the bottles. I love to go on the Ferris wheel. Why am I not mm -hmm. invited to this fun event? Yeah. This is so funny because I've asked this played this game where the person does so much more than the kissing booth and people are like, uh, I'll stay. But you guys are like, I'm not invited to the fair. I believe <laughs> <laughs> our producer Melissa just wrote, You love a fair. He loves affairs. <laughs> You're right, Melissa. We gotta go. Yeah. Well, I mean, how long have I been with him? Is he a, uh, a nice guy? I mean, I get the sense it sounds like an early midlife crisis. Oh, interesting. You've been together for five years. God. And has he ever done anything to make you think otherwise? No, this is the first real breach of trust. I think I have to go because now I'm just imagining all the things I could have won at the fair, and I'm sad. <laughs> Get a little goldfish. Yeah, that's a tough one. Five years, good relationship. Didn't tell you, didn't think it meant anything. It does still sound like a bit of a midlife crisis, which can only get worse. And so, you know, he'd definitely at least be at minimum in the doghouse and yeah. be in very serious probation. Okay, that's it. I love that as the answer. Uh, I'll stay, but they're on serious probation. <laughs> okay, our next game 
is, is this a date? You have a very handsome. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. You're probably right, but let's see. Okay, so you have a very handsome plumber over to fix a leak in your kitchen sink. After they fix it, they ask if you want them to check the rest of your pipes free of charge. Is this a date? Do they actually mean pipes or are they doing like an innuendo? Um, it's impossible to say, but it seems like they probably mean pipes. Hmm. It's not a date. Free of charge. It may be a bid for maybe a bid for a date. Do they want to do is it like SpawnCon where they want me to like post and be like hashtag plumber, hashtag ad? No. I don't think any plumber would want that. You don't know. You don't know who's sponsoring my Instagram. I think that they're trying to get me to like recommend them to my friends and it's all business. Yes. Yeah. It's business. They didn't bring food. You kind of have to bring food to a date. (laughs) You have food because it's your home. Yeah, that's not a date, though. That's not a date. Okay, well, unfortunately, that was your soulmate, and you missed the wonderful opportunity. No, no, I have his card. (laughs) (laughs) But they thought that you should have been made a move, and you didn't, and so now they're too embarrassed to ever come see you again. Then they weren't my soulmate. Yeah, I find him another lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. Tisha's a doctor. You don't think she's got guys lining up? She don't have time for this shit. Okay, our final game. Are you a terrible parent? Okay. Your child, 14, is never hungry for dinner because they snack so much when they get home from school. In order to get them to eat their healthy dinner, you create an elaborate puzzle system that they must solve in order to find a key that will open the fridge and pantry. The puzzle is definitely solvable, but it is time-consuming. Are you a terrible parent? (laughs) Wait a minute. So the puzzle thing is to get them to have bad food or good food? For their, they can snack if they solve the puzzle. Oh, okay. Or they can choose to not even engage and just wait until dinner. Yeah. For me, I feel like since I snack, I'm more, would be more of a horrible parent because I would be a hypocrite. Mm. (laughs) That's fair. I don't have no idea. I don't even know how to answer this one. Because it's so good. Yeah, it's really good. So I have, you've actually stumped me. I think, well, one, I should not be a parent. Although last night I I took care of a child and I had a great time. Oh, good. So did you create an elaborate puzzle system? No, I did not. She did draw a picture of me and beans though and give it to me and it was so sweet. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was really, really cute. So, I mean, I, maybe I'm a great parent, probably a better babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to go with um, this is not a great system to deprive your child from snacking. No, not a good system. Snacks all the way. Healthy snacks. So figs. There's all sorts of healthy snacks these days. Yeah. Okay, fine. You both win. Woo! I'll let you both be winners. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find out more about you and about the work that you're doing and about migraines in general? Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned my Twitter account, so Headache MD, easy, easy to remember. I'm also on the editorial board for the American Migraine Foundation. We have a lot of great content. I'm on the editorial board for Brain and Life magazine, which is a little bit different, more broad. Either one, if you want some information. And I'm an associate professor at the University of Miami. So if anyone feels they need an appointment, we do do telemedicine. And, you know, so I think things are changing with telemedicine. There's all these rules and regulations, but they're getting more broad. 
And so feel free to call us and let us know if you feel that you need an appointment. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. us it's time for topics x x x x x x x baby baby okay get ready for <laughs> liftoff because we are talking about citizen space travel <laughs> melissa mons our producer is here as well who has a lot to say so let's go <laughs> melissa start us off what is the tea okay i mean i wouldn't say it's tea necessarily but why do you hate it i don't know if i hate it that's the thing yeah, we don't know her opinion at all. We just know if she has some. Yes. Okay, I okay. assumed it was hatred, but please go on. I mean, it's a little bit of hatred, but also, like, I love aliens, believe they're real, would love to, you know, have an encounter, obsessed that they didn't abduct me. That you can remember. That I can remember, but I won't go there. Anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> There's been times that I've woken up with body parts sore and I was like, maybe that was an alien. I don't know. Was it your butthole? Because that's what aliens are into. Yes. Um, but anyway. Uh- <laughs> oh, and this isn't tea. This isn't tea. Well, OK. I mean- anyway, so you like it or you don't like it? Wait, well, should we explain first what's going on yes, and why yeah, we're talking yeah, yeah. Go about there. this? Go there. Explain it. Explain it. I think by the time this episode comes out, Two billionaires will have gone to space. Richard Branson through Virgin Galactic, which I have to say I love. I think that's a great name for his space travel company. (laughs) (laughs) He went to the edge of space with a couple other people. Um, So what we're seeing is that these private companies are creating space travel for citizens. The goal being that, like, quote unquote, the average person will be able to experience space in reality, any time within like the next decade, it's going to be like hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to actually be able to do this. <laughs> right, so right, right. It's not really the average citizen. Yeah. Um, and then also Jeff Bezos through his company, Blue Origin. I think the week that this comes out is is going to also be doing his first flight to space. And again, we're not talking about like circling the moon like they go up for like a couple of minutes right <laughs> into like space yeah and then they come back <laughs> honestly stay there don't even come back the controversy is that these billionaires including also Elon Musk are pouring tons of money mm-hmm. into these businesses and i think some of them are also getting funding from governments as well and the big debate is okay You have a ton of money, but why are you spending it on space tourism instead of spending it, I don't know, dealing with income inequality, poverty, COVID, like disease. And so that's, I think, the controversy surrounding all of this. Okay, I'll tell you why. Did you ever see that movie with Matt Damon, Elysium? Um, No. Nope. Okay, well, basically, it kind of gets into this. But here's what's happening. The Earth is being destroyed. The Earth is climate change. There's no more resources. Poverty's at all all high. The earth is a disaster. We got a pandemic. All these rich people, what they're doing is testing the waters so that they can build an international space station or whatever up in space. And then they can go live up there with all the rich people. And then and then earth down below can rot. There's no reason for them to help earth at this point. They've probably done a cost benefit analysis and they go, look, earth lost cause. Probably within the next like thousand years, no more Earth. 
But we, what we want uh, to make, you know, we want to keep living, build stuff outside of the earth, live up there. Who gives a fuck about the average person? That's what it is. It's not saying like, oh, the average person's going to be able to go to space. It's so that they can they can jump ship and live up there the minute something bad happens down here. You think if COVID wasn't just like ravaging through the earth, like Bezos and Elon Musk and Branson are not going to just like grab a bunch of Insta models and hightail it up to space? Well, I understand what you're saying, but I think like logistically, like in their lifetime, I mean, these men are all of these men are at least in their 40s if not older, like they won't have that in their lifetime. I truly think that the, I think that the purpose of what they're doing right now is this quote unquote space tourism. I think that like, as, as we move forward, I think other billionaires that will very much be their intention. But I think for these men, like Bezos isn't going to be alive for them to have a whole thing on, on a space station. Right. Melissa, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree that he won't be alive, but like Gabby said, it'll be in like a thousand years. And so he won't be alive, but like his children's children's children will be mm-hmm. there and it'll be set up. Mm-hmm. It's class. It's class warfare. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. I also think it's just like weird as a whole that NASA itself is like a government entity. Mm-hmm. The director of NASA is appointed by the president. And so like the government until now has really been the people that are controlling who gets to go to space. Mm -hmm. And so I am for other people being able to go, but I realize that it's right now, it's only available for the people that are beyond super wealthy, like those people, but also pissed because I think that those people should be spending money on things on earth. So it's like a catch, whatever the saying is. Like, it's like other people should be able to go, but also why aren't the people that are able to go helping people or even paying their employees a living wage and they're just out here free balling in space? It's also, I think, I don't want to say a dick measuring contest, but it's like all of these guys who are like competing with each other to be like who it's like the space race between the US and Russia but it's just mm-hmm. between like rich people. Yeah, and I, I mean I think Branson responded to the controversy around it and was basically like we need to do both things. We need to explore space and then also help and when he says we he means like billionaires need to like explore space and also help with Earth, but I think that the reality is is that they're not helping with Earth. Right. A distinction too is do you wish to explore space or do you wish to colonize space? Because If you wish to hop to a planet and explore it, amazing. If you wish to hop to a planet, stick a flag down, name it Planet Virgin Galactic, and then start charging people to go there, I think that's a very different animal. Like in Star Trek, of which I am a huge fan, they have something called the Prime Directive, which is that you can go to new places in the galaxy, but you're not allowed to influence that planet's technology. You're not allowed to take over that planet. You're not allowed to colonize any planet. And I feel like because of the way things have gone on Earth, typically with white people, that it will be colonization. Like it will not be just like, wow, this was cool science. It will be like, now we this is our planet. And that is a distinction. Like calling it exploration, I feel like is like, gently being like, oh, yeah, we're just going to like, you know, look at the stars or whatever. But I don't feel like that's the vibe. I feel like the vibe is like. I think the vibe is for them to make as much money possible taking other people up. 
right now. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they're doing in their lifetime is like they're going to take as many people up there now so that they can pocket more money for themselves. Yeah, because the reality is, is it, it can't become affordable with the current technology because you can take so few people. Mm -hmm. So I was reading and it's sort of like this analogy of like, imagine how expensive airplanes, it's like if airplanes only could hold 10 people, your price of the ticket is going to be a lot mm -hmm. higher. And so that's what we're mm -hmm. looking at for a long time down the mm -hmm. road with this. And it's also like the training that goes into it. Like there's so much money that the people are going to have to pay to even be able to get on the ship. So, yeah. And I think that this long-term thing of like, well, we got to start doing this so that, you know, in a couple hundred years, it will, we will have that. Like, I don't even think the world will be around then. Like, I think that the, the issue is that like, our climate change is so dire right. that like, we have to address that first. Like if everything was going well here, I'd be like, explore space. Exactly. But right. it's not going well. It's like very touch and go every single day. And so to use those resources for anything other than climate change is like you can try to excuse it and you can like talk around it. But the reality is, is like it's not helpful. I know. I understand wanting to explore space, but I just don't know what the hope is. The one cool thing that they mentioned was that the, the, what this does is that this will now allow researchers to conduct their own research up there versus like having it to be astronauts. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And they definitely have come up with some medical breakthroughs in space for sure. Like they've been able to figure out, I know there was one thing where they've been able to figure out like a heart, a heart monitor that works in anti-gravity and mm -hmm. like they've, they were able to like figure that out. So yes, so I'm always for the pursuit of science. I'm always for the pursuit of exploration. And and I and I'm also, you know, for taking stuff out of the government's hands in a lot of ways. But I just I don't know. It just seems like not aware of what the world is going through or conversely, hyper aware and like, <laughs> fuck you, bye. Yeah. You know, it feels like now is is not the time to be able to justify this. I know. But what do you think about it being used to enable super fast travel within Earth because you're using the hypersonic speeds of space? So like being able to get from like New York to London way quicker because you're going up to space sort of. That's cool. What? Yeah, because you can <laughs> go straight up and then you can it'll push you faster and then come down. Mm -hmm. So it could like really speed up uh, travel within Earth. But then, like, how much is that going to cost? Right. <laughs> I would rather they come up with teleportation, to be honest. Although, even in Star Trek, teleportation is terrifying. Did you know that? It's not like, oh, you've teleported. It's like they they take all your molecules, mm -hmm. they rearrange them, they put them back. So the you that comes out in the teleportation is actually not the you that left. It's like a completely different molecular version of you and every time you do it your molecules are changing and that's terrifying yeah but that's also not something that's real or going to happen <laughs> how do you know yeah ipads were in star trek years ago they were <laughs> they were and they were called pads yep <laughs> all right well i think there's some other options between those two yeah but i i do think like that that is cool but like why it's again speaks to like what is what are our priorities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe someone will write in and be like, you guys don't even understand. And this is why it's great. And like, OK, but I'm open to hearing that. And I love space. We all here love space. I just think I'm worried that it's it's class. It's going to come down to class warfare. But I feel like most things on Earth is class warfare. Of anyway. course. Uh, I just think that we should 
we shouldn't just let them get away with like. But then it's like, then who's regulating that? But I just think that the general public, if like, I I mean, we're screwed, right? We can't control these three billionaires. Like they're going to do whatever they want to do. I just personally feel like their resources would be much better used on Earth than Mm -hmm. figuring out space tourism. Elysium. Gotta watch it. Watch the movie 2014 Matt Damon film Elysium. You should have told us before so we could come with some knowledge. True. (laughs) Okay, so what do we rate this episode? Uh, 15 out of 14 headache cures. Mm. Gabby, why do you always take what I'm going to say? (laughs) We're mind melded, Melissa. We are mind melded. One brain. Mine was going to be more specific with 36 out of 28 menstrual migraine cures. Ooh. I mean. Because that's what I get. I, it's so bad. As soon as it starts, it's puking and crying. Well, you guys should look, you should look into these treatments that she was talking oh, I, about. Oh, I take the pills she was talking about. Me too. But they don't work? I mean, it works, but then I have to, like... I have to go to sleep. I'm done for the rest of the day. Like, Correct. What about the monthly injection? I would do Botox. Allison. Oh, fuck. Never mind. Oh, right. <laughs> Melissa hates needles. Melissa hates needles. What about the um, the pulsating thing on your forehead? I've tried it. It's fine. But it doesn't like nothing for mine. Nothing really stops unless I go to sleep and just cut things off. Because it's like the light sensitivity and everything. I've tried the massage thing and it's fine, but it just dulls it for me. Mm -hmm. You got to get, I have an ice helmet. I saw someone with one on the other day. Put it right on my head, baby. A helmet, a frozen helmet. Does it help? Dignified. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I just go to sleep too. It's really bad. Or I cry and I puke. Anyway... Allison, what do you rate it? I will rate it 47 out of 31 correct perceptions of self. Ooh, that's so deep. (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you to Dr. Monteith for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash just between us show make sure to follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at forever dog team to keep up with all the latest forever dog news also at allison raskin at gabby road at bwm pod at emotional support lady and then melissa at at she is not melissa we're on the internet forever Forever.